Listeners, glad to meet with you again. We will now begin Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. I hope you all had a full week in the Lord, standing firm on your belief and proclaiming the gospel. Due to the economic downturns, there are a lot of people struggling in their finances. The value of homes came down so low that people gave up on their houses. Some had to close their businesses, and some even lost their jobs. But in reality, these situations can become opportunities to prove our faith in God. If we trust in God's faithfulness, seek His will, and live our lives according to Him. I believe that we will live abundantly and self-sufficient lives. The economic downturn also brought a lot of folks into debt. Is there anyone who has had experience with debt? Of course, we'd rather be debt-free. Even the Bible tells us in Romans chapter thirteen, verse eight, "Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another." But we sometimes do end up in situations where the result is debt. I have also had debt because I didn't know how to properly manage my finances. As people who have been in debt probably know, being indebted to someone is not a pleasant experience. First, you begin to have heavy feelings and can't be free from the thoughts that you need to pay back your debt. Your thoughts might even come to haunt you, while you are eating, while you are working, before you go to bed, even while trying to spend a good time with your friends. These thoughts might linger around in your head. It is hard for a person in debt to have complete peace. It is because they, of course, have something to pay back. If there is someone who is in debt but lives in complete peace, they might have either forgotten the fact, or may be morally flawed or irresponsible. But when we look at Romans chapter one verse fourteen, Apostle Paul refers to himself as debtor to Greeks and non-Greeks. Both to the wise and the foolish. What is Apostle Paul indebted to? The next verse answers that question, which states, "That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel, also to you who are in Rome." Apostle Paul is indebted to the gospel. From the moment we become Christians, God gives us the duty to share the good news. The Bible calls it a new ministry. Therefore. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away; behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. These are the words from Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse seventeen through nineteen. Here God says, "Anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. Through Christ, God reconciled the world to Himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. 
those that have earned a new life in Christ are now given a ministry to reconcile with God with those who have yet to reconcile. Here in this context, Apostle Paul referred to this as being a debtor. If the message of God's good news doesn't reach others but ends back at me, this is a very selfish act. It is sad that the story of God's love ends at me without reaching other people.
Also, Paul says he's a debtor to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. I simply agreed to the verse and thought, yes, I am a debtor of gospel to everyone. But then when we read on to the next verse, Apostle Paul suddenly says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Be ashamed of the gospel? Why? Why would Paul suddenly say that? And I thought further, Well, it's because somebody is ashamed of the gospel. Reading verse 14 again, it says, Debtor to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Here, Paul is not simply referring to the Greeks, but he is referring to those who were leading the fine culture of the times. He is comparing them to the non-Greeks who were less sophisticated. Then he continues to talk about the wise and the foolish. In our language, It would be said like this, I am a debtor to those who are well off, or not so well off, very well educated, or not so educated. I am a debtor to all. Thinking about it, this is true. We tend to be a little bit more confident when we share the gospel with people that have a less financial status, people that need our physical help, people who have less education, or people who have lower social status. But what about when it's the opposite? When sharing the gospel with those who are better off financially, those that have better health, more educated, or of higher social status, 
Can you still share the gospel as confidently? Or do you become hesitant? If you become more hesitant, why might the reason be? Well, that person is better off, has higher educational degrees, has a better job, and is very stable. If I shared Christ with them, they might tell me, mind your own business, I'm fine without Jesus, I don't want to accept him and live like you do. With these thoughts, perhaps you become ashamed of sharing the gospel. This is why Apostle Paul confidently says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It wasn't random that Paul mentioned this. Whether the person is better than me or worse than me, more educated or not, he is still confident and not ashamed in declaring it. Paul continues, It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Savior say, and thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. As Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Washed it white as snow. 
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Walking in the Light, Part 2, based on 1 John 1, verse 5-7. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. Someone went to an observatory in Tucson and they said that when they went into the observatory, they were telling me that... They were going to look at some of the sunspots on the sun. The great telescope there was going to take a photograph of the sun. And that when it did, everyone in the room had to cover their eyes with their hands and double cover their hands and cover their eyes tightly. And they said that when we did that and when the ray of sun hit the huge telescope, that the room was so filled with light that they could actually see with their eyes closed, their hands double crossed, they could see bones. It was so bright. I'm thinking, what would God be like? That's why when people see the Lord or people are in the presence of the Lord, they're on their faces. They're going, oh, woe is me. I am, I'm undone. That's why we have to have new bodies. We couldn't stand in the presence of God. Our bodies would just vaporize. And God doesn't want that to happen. So he's promised us a new body that can stand that kind of glory. I love this verse because it says, I've been qualified for something. How many times have you heard, I'm sorry, you don't qualify? <laughs> Insurance companies, right? You don't qualify. Well, why? Well, uh, uh, you're sick. 
Well, that's why I need insurance. We know. But we don't cover that. That's pre-existing. That's pre-existing. Yeah, but everything I have is pre-existing. I've been alive for a year. <laughs> we don't qualify. I'm sorry. You apply for a job. You don't qualify. You're too old. You're too young. You're too smart. You're too dumb. Where do I qualify? You're just average. We need somebody above average, below average. God says, I've qualified you for something. I've qualified you to live with me forever in light with all the other rest of the gang, okay? We're going to be with the saints in light. So ethically, morally, spiritually, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. God is not darkness at all, contrary to what some believer teach. God does not have a dark side. You've seen the yin-yang symbol, right? Have you wondered why is there the black and the white? What is that? It's the idea that there's a dark side to God and a light side to God. The Apostle John, by revelation of the Holy Spirit and knowledge of what, who he's known Jesus, he's seen Jesus, he's touched Jesus, he's heard Jesus, he knows God. He's saying, look, I'm telling you, God is light. There's not a dark side to the force, okay? God is light. And in him there is what, gang? No darkness at all. Everything God does is right and just, holy, true. We can trust him 100%. God is always righteous. God is always light, okay? There's no dark side to God. And that is a comfort because, see, the pagan notion was that there was an evil side to the gods and you always had to kind of try to appease them and, and you never knew when they were going to turn cantankerous on you. And even though you'd been good, they, they get mean. I mean, look at Greek mythology and Roman mythology. If you know anything about it, the gods, the gods were weird. Most nice people were better than the gods. And the scripture is giving this revelation that God isn't that way. God is better than any nice person you know. God never changes. He never is ambivalent toward you. He's, he's always, if he's going to love you, he always loves you. If he's right, he's always going to be right. He'll never change. He'll never say, well, you know, that was one time when God was wrong. Or that was one time when God wasn't good. God is light. He's morally, ethically, always right. And so we just, we have to believe that, accept it by revelation of God and say, okay, I'm going to either believe what some religions say or some theories say or I'm going to believe what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible teaches very clearly. Now, uh, going back to 1 John, let's pick up another verse or two maybe. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say that we're having a common life with God, koinonia with God, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, now this is one of the first, this is one of the first tests of whether or not a person is really born again or not. And don't apply it. Go apply it to somebody else. Just apply it to yourself. Am I walking with the Lord? 
If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. Now, a lot of people, they get real uncomfortable here because maybe they're walking in the darkness. And they're wanting to say, well, I can have both. I can walk in the darkness. I can walk around. And the idea is habitually walking this way. This is my path. This is the way I like to live. And yet I like to say, I'm a Christian. John says, you're a liar. You're a liar. Whoa. That's not politically correct, is it? In fact, if somebody came up to me and after the message and they said, well, I'm living an immoral lifestyle and I'm a Christian. And if I said, you are not, you're a liar. <gasps> oh, can you imagine? Oh, I'm telling you. Ah, the letters the elders would get. <laughs> Pastor Dan would have to answer this stuff. I mean, you know, but the Bible says you're lying. Something isn't adding up here. Something isn't true. Because you cannot be living in darkness, living in a way that is the opposite of God's way and say, oh yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I know the Lord. He's saying, no, you got to walk differently. Look at what he says in verse 7. But if we walk in the light... And the idea is habitually walking in the light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from how much sin? All. All sin. Now, this is not if we walk in the light, then Jesus will forgive us. And so I've got to constantly be living in the light in order to have Jesus' forgiveness. This is teaching us that if you really have received Jesus' forgiveness and cleansing from your sin, you are going to walk differently. You get it? He's not saying your salvation is dependent on how you walk. He's saying your walk will be different because you have been saved. You can't live like you used to live. You're going to live differently because you're a believer and you love the Lord. Because you've been saved by grace, because Jesus has accepted you just as you are, you can't stay just the way you are. You change. And the habit of your life is not to walk in darkness anymore. Is he saying you're going to be perfect? Actually, no. Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So John is not teaching that any Christian is to become sinlessly perfect. He's not saying that any Christian in and of themselves, even with the power of Christ resonant in you, you're going to stop sinning completely. He's saying if you run into anybody like that, they're nuts. They're deceiving themselves. And the truth is not in them. But he is saying, and I've said this before, he's not saying you're going to be sinless, but he is going to, he's saying you're going to sin less and less because you love the Lord. And when you do sin, you're going to be quick to say, ah, I'm sorry. The neat thing is, is that, see, there's this immediate, the Holy Spirit goes, uh, and you're going, I know, I know. You know, I almost beat the Holy Spirit sometimes. <laughs> to conviction, don't we? It's like, don't say it. I know it. I'm sorry, you know. 
But see how different that was from the way of life we had BC, right? Before Christ, we just steamroller people. Before Christ, we were mean, obnoxious, and not sorry. And the work of Jesus in our lives transforming us, oh, that is so sweet. It's so, so absolutely cool. I ran into a gentleman years ago in a church where we, uh, I was pastoring and we were at the first church we were ever at. And uh, this old guy, he believed that he was sinlessly perfect. I remember talking to him and, and uh, I said, so, so you believe you're perfect? He said, yes. I said, I can't believe this. And he was a very sweet guy. I mean, if anybody could have kind of seemed like he could have been, this guy. He was a very sweet old man. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, but his belief was that he had to become perfect in order to be accepted by God. So he was working very hard on it, cramming for his finals. And... I said, well, I said, you can't even pray the Lord's Prayer because it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You're saying that you don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer anymore. And he, no, I guess not. I said, well, then let me talk to your wife. <laughs> Nobody, no matter how much they deceive themselves, will ever be sinlessly perfect. But... That is no excuse for not desiring to live as sinlessly as we can. We want to live a sinless life. Now listen, I'm hyphenating that. Like less salt, less sugar, less fat. For some of you poor dear saints, less carbohydrates. We want to sin less. Amen? Are we agreed on that? And that's the teaching of the Word of God. And that's what every heart's cry of a saved believer is. Lord, I want to sin less. Lord, I don't want to do this again. Lord, I turn from this. I hate the wrong. I love the right. That's the heart of a believer. He says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship. The Bible talks a lot about the lifestyle and walk of a believer. Can I give you some scriptures that we'll look at and some you'll write down? Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, walk as children of light. Ephesians 5 verse 8, walk as children of light. The idea is live your life, conduct your life in, in a manner that is bright. Walk as children of light. Galatians 5, I'm just going to refer to it. We won't look it up. But in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 25, the Apostle Paul says, walk in the Spirit. And don't walk in the flesh. Don't walk according to your old passions and sinful desires that drag you down and drag the name of the Lord in the mud. He says, walk in the Spirit. And you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to, if you're there already, can you read it with me? 
Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You've been called saints. Isn't this cool of the Lord? Before we're in heaven, Jesus says, you're a saint, 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 you're a saint. Before we even get there, he's declaring us to be saints and he's covering us with his righteousness and now the Apostle Paul says, now walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You're called by Jesus' name. You're called children of God. You're called God's own possession. You are called God's beloved. Now walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2 says, and what? Walk in what? Love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He says, I want you to love one another. Walk in how? Love. Walk in love. How do I love just as Christ loved you? I love this. You know, the New Testament could have 900 rules, right? Couldn't there be 900 rules about how to love? Well, how do I love my husband when he, you know, does this. How do I love my child when they disobey me in this circumstance? I mean, we could have, you know, rule books. And the Bible is so inspired. The New Testament, walk in love just as Christ has loved you. I don't need 900 rules, do you? All I have to do is look at the cross. You know what I'm saying? But it won't work if you haven't experienced God's grace, will it? Because you don't understand what it means to walk in love just as Christ loved you. The Christian walk is absolutely dependent upon a salvation grace experience with Jesus Christ. You cannot live the Christian walk apart from a salvation experience, a grace experience with Jesus. Look at Ephesians 5.8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's our light, right? You were darkness. Now you're what? Light, because God is light, and you're hanging out with God. You're connected with the Lord. Now you're light in the Lord. Then he says, read the next phrase, walk as children of light. Fitting right into what John says. Can't say you know the Lord and walk in darkness, but if you know him, you'll walk in the light as he is in, in the light. Look at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you, what? Walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Be careful how you walk. The world's watching you for one thing, right? I was thinking before the service, we're the only Jesus a lot of people will ever see. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're not going to come here. They might not even read a Bible ever, but they're going to see you and Christ in you. Now, be careful how you walk. I want to rightly represent the Lord oh, on the freeway. I just blew it the other day. I was coming in, and I, this guy cut me off in between two other cars and it could have been a horrible accident and I was already feeling uptight my kidney was hurting a lot and when don't mess with me when my kidney hurts it's just like <laughs> it's a bad day and I 
I just... And if had there been a t torpedo on my car, had there been a, a rocket on my car, I would have blown him off the road. My kids were saying, Dad, you're a pastor. Dad, what if that was someone from Calvary? Well, they don't have a decoil on anyway. They don't deserve to be treated. No. I was wrong. I was wrong. Lousy witness of the day. I'm not happy. I'm not proud about it. But I'm just telling you, that's some place where you don't turn off your Christianity. And when people do weird things to you, you know, my flesh just, my flesh was there in a tenth of a second. <clears throat> and it's hard to sit back when you almost die, you know, just, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> but it was wrong. I had to apologize to my kids, to my wife, to my church. It's better to just be careful how you walk or drive. <laughs> Colossians 1, we read 10, says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And Colossians, that was 1.10, Colossians 2.6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12 says, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. Walk in a manner of the Lord. That's, that's worthy of the one who's called you into his glory. You're going there. You're going to heaven isn't determined by your walk. You're not getting into heaven by how well you walk. But how well you walk shows what the Lord has done in your life. You won't be perfect, but you'll want to be. You'll be grieved by your sin. That's the heart of a believer, and that's what he's saying. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Maybe your walk is really good. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2 says, Excel still more.
Listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you. So, if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, Please feel free to email us at askhsgm@gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul podcast on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that teaches the Lord's Prayer. Titled "Pray in This Way." Hello, listeners. This is Brian Winston with "Pray in This Way." Today is our final episode, so we're going to use this time to review the important themes that we have discussed previously one last time. During our very first episode, we learned how Jesus wanted us to pray. It wasn't meant to be a spell that should be memorized and repeated without any error or mistake. Since Jesus has taught us how to pray, we are now equipped with the necessary tools to practice and improve our prayers. Some may question why we must learn how to pray. Shouldn't confessing what is inside our heart be sufficient as a prayer? In fact, 
The disciples of Jesus specifically asked Jesus how to pray, which signifies that there is importance in the way we pray. Jesus also provided guidelines for prayers as a response to his disciples' request, indicating that the rules for praying can be learned and acquired. Before Jesus taught us the way to pray, he first talked about how not to pray. If you recall, in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 7, he states that it is wrong to want to be seen by other people while praying or to keep talking on and on. Talking on and on wasn't repeating the same prayer requests. Instead, it was repeating the same phrase over and over as if uttering an incantation or chanting a spell. After teaching us how not to pray, Jesus follows up with pray in this way to teach us the right way to pray. First, he taught us to call God our Father in heaven. We are praying to God, the creator of the entire universe, who has complete sovereignty, yet we have a father and son relationship with him. Anyone can call out to God, but only those who have become sons and daughters of God through the blood of Jesus can call God their father. We must remember this grace and be grateful while we pray. There is one more thing to remember when we call God our father. Jesus taught us to call him our father in the plural form. God in heaven is not just my father, but ours meaning that we Christians cannot be separated from one another and are created to be one body in one communion. So many churches forget about this and repeatedly argue, divorce, and eventually scatter. If we pray together and become aware that we belong to one communion in Christ, we would not have to witness so many arguments, divorces, and separations of churches. We must remember that Jesus taught us to refer to God as our Father. We must remember that we are part of the church, not because of my own will, but due to God's perfect plan for us to create one perfect unity in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must obey and protect what God has given us. After teaching us to call God our Father, Jesus taught us next to declare and ask God's name to be hallowed, His kingdom to come and what he wants to happen to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Holy means distinguished. God as the creator is distinguished from all his creations. God is righteous and is distinguished from all sins in the world. God is distinguished and therefore must be honored and hallowed. In order to reveal God's holiness, his people must live out his holiness in their lives we must be careful not to scar God's holiness by our wrong deeds. Also, by asking God's kingdom to come, we are declaring that we no longer belong to the world and its rules. We let God's rules reign over us. By asking His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are surrendering our lives to His will. These three requests, therefore, are guidelines for our lives in order to reveal God's holiness, to fall under His reign, and to fulfill His will as our own will. After asking for God's name, kingdom, and will, Jesus taught us to ask for three things we need in this world, daily bread, forgiveness, and protection from temptation. Asking God for daily bread indicates two things. We are sons and daughters of God, 
and we are his servants who work for his kingdom. As his children as well as his servants, we have every right to ask God for our daily bread, and God will most certainly provide. We do not ask for abundance to accumulate and prepare for the future, however. We ask for daily bread because we trust God and his perfect provision that will never fall short of our needs. For forgiveness, Jesus himself demonstrated how to forgive those who have harmed him so that we could learn. We must ask God to forgive us the way we've forgiven others. As we recall, Jesus taught us an important lesson using the parable of the unforgiving servant who had his own debt of 10,000 talents forgiven, yet was unwilling to forgive his fellow servant who owed him a mere 100 denarii. Because our immeasurable debts have been forgiven, there is no one whom we cannot forgive. Next, we talked about tests and temptations. The Greek word for test is parosmos and has a number of different meanings. Test to measure our faith, test to strengthen our faith, and temptation that could make us sin. God never tempts us to sin. It's our sinful nature that leads us to temptation. Therefore, when we ask God to save us from evil temptations, we are confessing and declaring that we no longer want to commit sin. This confession must accompany our action and commitment to flee from the source of temptation. Only when we fulfill our part will God give us strength to overcome temptations. The last topic was doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer. The reason we could ask all of the above is because the kingdom, the power, and the glory is and will be with our Father God forever. The doxology allowed us to conclude the prayer with a recognition of God's eternal kingdom, power, and glory. We've studied every verse in the Lord's Prayer. The structure of the Lord's Prayer makes sure that we first understand to whom we are praying, then ask for His name, kingdom, and will. After this, we make our demands for our needs, which include forgiveness and redemption from temptation. We must pray not only for what to eat and what to wear, but also for God's continuous guidance to keep us away from sin. In conclusion, we praise and glorify God. This is the perfect example of the prayer that Jesus has taught us. It is important for us to remember Jesus' guidelines when we pray. You could always recite Jesus' original prayer, but you could also modify your prayer for your specific needs as long as you remember the guidelines. What we must keep in mind at all times is that we must put God's kingdom and will before ours. Let us no longer think of the Lord's Prayer as a spell to be memorized and repeated. Instead, confess every line with commitment and sincerity. Our Father God in heaven always listens and answers wholehearted prayers. Let us never let go of the thread of prayer in our daily lives. I will conclude today's session of Pray in This Way with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Through Christ, we've become reconciled with God. And now we are given the ministry to reconcile others to God. We are to share the good news of salvation to all people. But we were influenced by the outwardly things which led us to be ashamed of the gospel. This might be so because we didn't truly understand the gospel in the first place. It might be so because maybe we thought that the message of the gospel is to live comfortably in this life. Maybe this is why we couldn't share with those who live in more comfort than us. True gospel is the power of God that saves dying souls. That is why we are to share with those that are spiritually dying. Apostle Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. This is because the power does not come from himself, but it is God's power that brings salvation to those who believe. If you've ever been ashamed of the gospel, it's because you tried to share the gospel using your own power, your language, and your abilities. Now is the time to work in the ministry of reconciliation through the Word of God, which gives us the power. Until next week, I pray you and I will not be ashamed of the gospel, that we will preach confidently the good news that brings salvation. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening. It has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week, and God bless.